The following podcast is brought to you by OpenG Records. These poor people have been bullshitted by the system. Bullshitted by the system. Bullshitted by the system. Opening Bullshit. Bullshitted by the system. Oh, I'm dropping dimes tonight. Bullshit. Oh, I'm dropping dimes tonight. Oh, I'm dropping bullshit tonight. Bullshit. Alright, so what's up everybody? Welcome to Open Season. Uh, as always, I'm William Kerrigan. I'm here with OpenG founder, CEO, and uh, resident badass Chris Grimes, and uh, he's going to introduce our guest today. Alright, so uh, usually it's just me and Will here, but today I have a special guest with us, uh, professor, flutist, cynic, deep thinker, cranky motherfucker, Chris Chafee is here with us today. Welcome to the Open G Open Season Podcast, Mr. Chafee. Dr. Chafee, I should say. Indeed. I'm going to tell a story about Chafee first. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to say that our podcast is not sponsored by the Dalmore 15. However, it, it is enjoyable. It is delicious and enjoyable. And the coolest bottle I think I've seen. <laughs> it is the nicest bottle. Um, so I'm going to tell a story about Chafee real quick. Go for it. So. Uh, about four years ago, my mom died of brain cancer, and it was a very sudden kind of traumatic thing. And I basically dropped off the face of the earth. I completely just went away for a little while. Um, and, uh, and then after Rachel's mom died, my wife, I truly went off, like, off the reservation. And the first person to really get back in contact with me and to insist on getting back in contact with me was Chris. And uh, originally, I I blew him off a number of times, like completely didn't even answer emails, phone calls, just pretended that I didn't hear from him. But he insisted on it. He had a project that he wanted to do, and he insisted that I be the guy to do the project with him, or he wasn't going to do it. And it got to the point that I had friends calling me going, you know, this Chafee guy is fucking looking for you. Do you know that, like, he keeps asking? So, uh, and, and eventually, indeed, I did sort of come out of semi-not retirement, but a definite hibern hibernation period in my funk. lifetime uh, because uh, Chris insisted that I do so. So, you know, I, I definitely feel... A debt of thanks and gratitude and kind of uh, uh, loyalty, definitely, to Chris. Well, and as someone who uh, knows your stubbornness firsthand, I, I got to say I'm impressed. Um, that's <laughs> I that's a stubborn that guy. You outstubborned the yeah. stubborn. Um, yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's dive right in. Um, so I'll call you Chafee on the air. I you know hope that's no disrespect. Um, but you're both I've named Chris. Chris. We have like five Chris's on this label. Yeah, I can't I keep it straight. It's absurd. Um, so you're in the process of recording a record for us. So do you yes. want to talk a little bit about that and particularly about how you went about selecting uh, what was going to be a part of this work? Right. Well, I don't even know where to start because there's a lot of ways to answer that. Uh, I'll tell you where I am right now, which is a week and a half ago, I recorded one piece by my friend Mark Ferris, and that's one of the anchors of this whole deal. Um uh, there are going to be only four pieces on the record overall, and uh, two of them are, well, one of them is brand new, and the other one, uh, Mark Ferris's piece I actually played in 2006, uh, 
was okay. You know, it was a, a very energetic performance. We did it a couple times, and we said, we got to record it, we got to record it, we got to record it. We just never got around to it. Things have converged in a nice way. I'm actually on a sabbatical from my university, and I got a grant from my university. So it's perfect timing to get this all put together. So, uh, so yeah, I'm in the, in the process, and I'm in the throes of, you know, crunching out everything I can to, to get this done. One piece is recorded and ready. The other three will be uh, hopefully done in January. So that that's where things are. That's what we're doing. In terms of how I picked pieces, the uh, the Ferris was an obvious choice because it's been sort of bubbling on the stove for so long. And I think personally it's a really cool piece. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Now, and did Mark write that piece for you? He did, and I should also mention he wrote it for Josh Nemeth, the pianist I'm playing it with as well. So uh, the cool thing about this, obviously, is that um, we're producing a record with the people for whom the the art was yes. was written that that made the commission that that did the stuff. So yeah, and it was a commission in a very loose sense of the term. I had a gig. Oh gosh, like 2005 at the Dayton Art Institute as part of a chamber series and I needed a little hole filled on my program. And I got in touch with Mark and I said, you know, I feel like playing an alto flute piece, can you write me a piece? So he wrote uh, this amazingly complex, really super cool piece that kicked our ass that we could barely play. But we liked it, and um, after the performance, I said, you know, turn this into a bigger piece, and then it evolved and grew into something else. Um, and you know, I'm sorry, Mark, but I haven't paid you a dime for the thing yet. So it's, it's we'll, more we'll of work a, on that. a we'll performance commission, if you want to call it that. Right, and but, that's definitely something that we're, we're going to get into later on yeah. in the podcast in terms of talking about doing commissions. And, and, for but sure. the best thing was the Ferris... Paris and I were classmates at Eastman. He knows Josh, the pianist, when, as well. The three when did of us. you go to Eastman? When, what, what, what time were we talking about? Um, I graduated in 95, so I was in college at Eastman from 91 through 95. Mark was actually a year ahead of me. Josh and I were in the same class, but we were really good buds back then. Uh, got into a lot of trouble together, did a lot of bad things together back in those days. Nonetheless, though, Ferris, when he first set out, said, oh, I'm writing for you guys. I'm going to write specifically for you, and... Um, I don't know, I still can't figure out whether I'm flattered or not, because it's really freaking hard. Why would you not be flattered by something this way? Do you think <laughs> but, that he's like telling you to go fuck yourself? Or? Uh, yeah, in fact, um, <laughs> I'll have to take a picture of it, but Josh took his cover of, of his score, and, and it says, for Chris and Josh, he erased four and wrote fuck. <laughs> fuck Chris and Josh. <laughs> we, can, we can confirm that. We, have, yeah. we, can, we can ask Mark about that. Yeah, right. yeah please. So can you tell me a little bit, okay, so you have this, this centerpiece that, mm -hmm. that you want to formulate the, the album around. Yeah. Uh, how'd you pick the other pieces? Well, because you know, it goes to the idea of making a record in the beginning. I mean, it's, it's personally, and here comes the crunch, here comes the, the cynic, I guess. You introduced me as some crunchy, you know. Uh, cranky motherfucker. Cranky, thank, thank you. I was struggling to find the C word. I, 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 I rarely struggle to find the C word. Oh, okay. So, um, elevator, please. Hey. Um, do, 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 do. The, uh, no, it's, I think it's inherently selfish to make a record. Um, especially nowadays when, Why? well, it's. Hey, everyone, listen to me. Yeah, well. It, <laughs> For it, an hour. Right. Exactly. I'm, I'm not convinced to this day that people will care enough to really want to listen to that much. Um, 
maybe that's just my insecurity talking. I don't know, but we it's had just... a long riff about that on uh, on episode one of, of nice. the Open Season podcast. Well, and I, I remember uh, I think it was the the blog entry that that you wrote for mm-hmm. us where you said you know it, it was or maybe it was just an email where you said I think that's enough flute that people can handle. So <laughs> yeah. it's almost like it's yeah. not so yeah. much the 60 minutes of music but it's what you're particularly offering that yeah you you wonder about well so when i was filling in i mean i i, I thought about it the way that i think about a recital program which is basically the overwrought metaphor that everybody uses it's like a meal um you know you want to have a balanced you know a little bit of this a little bit of that or you know you can't just have steak 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 you got to have steak and then your sorbet unfortunately the way it worked out is i don't have any fillers i don't have any little tiny courses in between it's just like big 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 but so yeah. maybe there's a duck course in there instead yeah of right and so it's like a fillet and then a so duck what are the it. other things that are on the record uh the one of the other big anchors is a sonata by philippe gobert uh, it's a very well-known flute piece it's kind of it's got a little bit of a cult kind of following um flutists that know gobert's music uh, are, are absolutely in love with it i played it at the convention last year and a number of people came up to me afterwards. Some really nice, very good flutists came to me and said, oh, thank you so much for playing that piece. It's one of my favorites. And I said, well, obviously for me too. Um, it's maybe not, uh, well, I think actually it's very accessible, but it's not the kind of piece that makes people jump up and down and get happy. It's not the Carmen fantasy. Right. You know, it's not a fluty, fluty, flute, flute piece, you know. <laughs> The 16-year-old <laughs> girls that go crazy over the YouTube bullshit are not going to... Does anyone... Hits on do that, any 16-year-old girls really go fl- crazy over flute pieces? Oh, God. Is this, yeah? Oh, there are YouTube oh, entries. Yeah. Don't, yeah. All right. I, I won't... I, I oh won't go down that road. Among, like, conservatory-bound flute players who might, like, say, go to Interlochen or Blue Lake camps... I, well, see, you said 16, so we're talking... Like, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not thinking conservatory bound uh, i'm thinking me, still not, well in high school yeah but here's the deal if you're a conservatory level player and you're not already aimed yep, at 16 fair. you're not going to a conservatory fair okay that's just how, how unless well that's unless me going out on a limb and falling off no 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 unless you're a freak right, right. unless you like are like a somebody there there has been a guy this a, a guy that i went to a concert of recently michael hirsch who's a composer who now heads the department at peabody uh, he never heard or listened or did any shit with classical music until his brother started taking horn lessons. Michael was 18. Yeah. His brother played like Beethoven 7 or something for him. He's like, you have to listen to that. Michael was like, fuck yourself. He's like, no, seriously, listen to this classical music. It's yeah. going to blow your mind. And Michael was like, oh my God. And he went to a piano and could immediately just wow. figure so it out. Like, that's like savant level. Completely. Yeah. So that kind of guy can go to say, like, yeah. you know, at eighteen, be eighteen, and say, "I just discovered this, but look, I can play the piano." Yeah, you know, it's then so. But otherwise, if you're sixteen and you're I think, planning to go right. to a conservatory and you're not ready yet, then you're not going to conservatory. And th- this is Stand a whole, corrected. whole new angle and a whole new tangent, but it's something that I'm uh, always thinking about. Um, Recently, with uh, I live in Yellow Springs, Ohio. We have a chamber music series there. And Why don't we say for the record who else lives in Yellow Springs, Ohio? Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Oh, um, all right. Yeah, see, uh, but you know, the I, reading the bios of the like groups that. we're getting in, a majority of them, especially in the string quartets, it's it's unusual when you do not see started cello lessons at age three. Right. Started with famous pedagogue at you know age eight. 
Yeah. It it seems like. I mean, don't get me started on that because that I I, it's problematic. I think. And that, I think that so too. I didn't start playing the clarinet till I was twelve, and I'm kind of happy about it. Yeah. Because I feel like I had a fucking childhood. Rachel started playing the violin when she was three. Yeah. You know, she's being carted off to lessons at 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 Peabody when she's five. She's going to Peabody all day long when she's six years old. Yeah. You know, it's like. I was finding dirt. I was like playing on my bike and yeah. like you know fucking around with football. You know, it's I, yeah. I that I think is a part of 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 their general life and education that like uh, serious string players basically yeah. and pianists because there's so many of them. Well, and with flutists and, and other instruments, though, they're starting that too. It's insane. They're pushing it back further and further and further, and I. I don't think that make that that's the best model because we you, you see the success stories but you don't always see the kids that you know the the lid is screwed on so tight because they don't grow up they get you know by the time they're twenty and they're a Curtis they're like ooh heroin that sounds like a great right. idea and you never hear from them again. <laughs> well, uh, you had a little doubt. Well, you you're you're undergraduate. You partied. Let's just be honest about it. You were you went to Eastman as that you went to okay you went to the Interlochen Arts Camp. The right. academy, yeah, like I the went academy to the, the boarding from, school. From what? From what time? All, all four years of high school. So you were you're talking about yourself, because the, indirectly, yeah. And what happened? Yeah. And you got to Eastman, and I, I had a good time. Yeah, I yeah. enjoyed the. Uh, yeah, but you did not fall off the planet. No, I didn't, because you know I had good peers, and very few of us. There, you know, we all sort of grew up with a, a certain amount of diligence as well. Mm. You know, so there's, for as many times as I diverted, I also always wanted to get my work done. You know, I still had this one overriding thing, and which was, you know, I better be ready for my lessons. You know, no matter what I did, I still didn't want to suck. Right. You know, I still wanted to, you know, I still, I had external things. I had teachers who were telling me, you know, Early on, I mean, I had a teacher in high school who looked at me and said, by the time you're 20, you're going to be in a major orchestra. And I had expectations I felt I had to live up to. Yeah. And so that kept me going. I think other people that fall off, maybe they didn't have the peer network or they didn't have the strange luck that I did, yeah. too. In terms and the vision helps. I mean, to, to see where you're going, yeah. I think, is, is very yeah. motivating. Vision, but there is luck involved, too. Oh, for sure. Sort of success. Well, it's just staying alive, too. <laughs> I mean... Not being hit by a truck, or what? Ma well, you know, Mark Ferris and I were just hanging out last week, and we talked about how we went camping one time, and mind you, we are both Eagle Scouts, but we went... I, I, God, I can't believe I'm saying this on the record. We went swimming in a thunderstorm. Like, purposely. We're like, yeah, let's go swimming. How old? 20. Oh, of course. All right. At yeah. least it wasn't last year. I thought it might uh, be like... Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, now I'm afraid to even leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I even got here. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised. <laughs> he won't get on the subway. I can't get him to go anywhere on the subway because he's like, no, nah, it's... Uh, nice never say never. No, I'll say he's here for a few days. We'll get that. Before uh, we completely go <laughs> off on a, a Mark O'Connor bit... Um, so let's, uh, yeah, yeah, went there. Uh, so we, we, we've talked about the process for picking your record. Now, Chris, we actually haven't had the chance or haven't taken the chance to talk about yours yeah. on the air. So I want you guys to, to compare a little bit your process. So we've, we've heard Chafee's, um, process for picking the pieces on his record. Tell us a little bit about yours and how you think that compares to that. Uh, well, Mine was a really particular kind of thing because um, 
while the pieces aren't on, on the on my record are not like a, a concept album themselves sort of the idea of it being a record is a concept because um, after my mom died the ECU where, where you went and I, I actually went and yeah. I also taught um, gave me about 10 grand no strings atta- no strings attached to go make a record but no, no is that a state East Carolina it's, fuck it is a state it's a little island it's off a of state North Carolina. of badassery <laughs> So, um, Ted to be that guy. So, but with, with the, when these things happen, when when colleges give you money, there are, there 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 are usually a time constraint on it. You need to use this within the year, or it goes away. Thanks. Um, I don't understand technology. Just gave us like some a sort thumbs of, up or something. Yeah, like something we'll pretend that's a good thing. All yeah, right, continue. So yeah, wow. time limits. So yeah, so um, basically my record is just a statement of my own kind of things that I hold close to myself as a, as a record of being able to do that a year after my mom died to me was like a testimony to her presence because I started playing on her clarinet and, um, and I, and she used to take me to, and my earliest memories of playing my instrument are surrounded by my mom. I remember pulling the instrument out and it had lipstick on the reed from when she had been playing it in like the late fifties in high school, believe it or not. So, um, so the concept for me was these are pieces that represent me in a way that I can do in a year after my mom died to represent how strong I am, even though she left me, that she left me in this state where I can produce something that is beautiful. So in the end, I, uh, I I chose the pieces for it. One was a no-brainer because Eddie Jacobs wrote a piece for me that I love for clarinet piano. It ended up that he had another piece for clarinet and tape that I played a lot that's so fucking hard that I had to put on tape because I, I just wanted a record that I could play it. Um, and Absolutely. then uh, the outside pieces are both basically the same piece with different orchestrations. And then the interior works are two unaccompanied pieces so I kind of made a palindrome that are pretty I mean standard I mean you, you standard went with, yeah. rap Joan Tower uh, Wings yeah. and the the, the Mook, solo movement from the Messian Quartet for the end of time are pretty standard but there are two pieces that start the start the record for clarinet and piano and then there are two pieces for unaccompanied clarinet and then at the end there are two pieces for clarinet and electronics so I try to create this palindrome this palindrome or, or you know, not quite but an ABA ish okay. of the sandwich of these two um, rather substantial unaccompanied pieces with two sounds on either side of them that differentiate themselves from it and um, the last piece that I chose on it was was the Messian uh, and the reason I chose it I was choosing between that and a piece by a woman named Shulamit Ran both unaccompanied pieces and the reason that I chose the Messian was because it's it was written in a prisoner of war camp, and he really, during World War II, and he really felt like it was the end of the world. And after mom died, you just, you get, I hate to be maudlin and so personal about it, but you do get like a, a perspective of the vast indifference of the universe to your shit. You know, it's like the only life goes on yeah the only fair thing about it is that it's equally unfair to everyone it doesn't matter if you have money it doesn't matter if you're famous it doesn't matter if you're if you're a royalty yeah if you get cancer you're probably going to fucking die and it's just un uh, it's just unfair that way and so that the starkness of that piece that actually has a bit of hope in the middle of it with some bird song 
is sort of the kernel of that album that even within times that feel so bad there are moments that are still okay and here I am now with my son who's a wonderful kid my career is flourishing there there is brightness after all of that darkness but the darkness is pretty fucking real when it goes through it so that's that's where I was when I chose the pieces all right, that, well, your your move. <laughs> now, he's painted us a picture. What have you got? Yeah, mine's nowhere near that personal. Uh, other than, of course, like I said, I just picked stuff that I wanted to play. I mean, I didn't realize it as I was putting it together. Uh, but one thing that occurred to me after the fact was that it represents uh, three different aspects of my personality. One being the Ferris. It's a, I wouldn't say violent piece, but it's an aggressive piece. It's called social movements each of the titles has to do with uh things that are i wouldn't say rebellious but fighting the power pushing back things you know there's there's that streak in me an anti-authoritarian streak that's very strong um much more so when i was younger but even still it's there uh the second one the gobert certainly falls in a category of excuse me sensuality not in the sense that, you know, I like to sit around in a bathtub full of rose petals and sing Gilbert and Sullivan. But Who doesn't? Well, Gilbert. <laughs> Sounds like Gilbert my Saturday night. I don't know. What the fuck, man? Okay. So, but, you know, but in the sense that Martin I like Gay. a nice glass of scotch. <laughs> I like a nice glass of Bordeaux. I, I The sensual senses. Yeah, or that. that life, I mean, life is worth living to the fullest and enjoying things and finding amazing things in everyday life and Gobert is certainly the kind of piece where if it's played well even when you hear it when you're not playing it when you're not engaged with it that way if you hear a great musician play that kind of music it you know it fills you with that same feeling then the third part is uh, the piece that I haven't mentioned yet is a piece by Ned Roram called uh, Four Prayers um, and it's been recorded before. The Gobert has been recorded by lots of people. One of my former teachers, Rick Sherman, just apparently came out with his recording of Gobert. Uh, Roram has been recorded. Ours will be far superior. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's been recorded. I'm saying it. Hey, Rick Sherman. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, no. Let's not. We can't drop this mic, so. Um, yeah, 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 all right. Roram. Uh, <laughs> I can't get, believe I pulled back from good that. restraint. Like personal growth. This is Jeez, this is crap. a breakthrough you, you all that you're all seeing live <laughs> on the air. All right. The, the, the Ned Roram is a, a very quiet, a very meditative piece, and that's certainly a part of my personality as well. Um, I'm, I guess I'm kind of known as a. You know, you're making fun of me for like not the fact that I even got here. Like, <laughs> I, I like. I'm, I'm not that I'm a hermit per se, but I like being by myself or with my family or being in a small controlled environment, usually outside, usually in the woods. I'm not a city person. I mean, New York City's right up there. Um, I'm, I'm a quiet person. And that urge in me to be reflective and quiet and to meditate and to be by myself is also very strong. And when I first heard the Roram, it was a few years ago, I actually reviewed a recording of it. I just I kept playing it over and over going you know this is neat this is not something people usually do with the flute at least not in the western sense you know we're not a bird we're not playing a pretty melody we're just playing repetitive quiet little things and I thought wow this is this is something that I really want to sink my teeth into so I don't feel terribly original recording it I just want to do it because again it, it fits in with this overall scheme I, I got all fancy the other day, and I said it was like Japanese flower arranging, where there's three strong elements. 
you know, but that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I know. If if I write an essay and publish that, I mean, you guys can punch me. Well, well, we would certainly love any blog entry that you would like to write. I did. I highly enjoyed the the first one. Yeah. Uh, no, that's true. You know, I so many people told me that they actually liked your blog entry. Let's can let can we? I know that we were trying to keep these. No, we can we can plug. Go ahead. Limited thing. No, I'm not even plugging it. I, you're, you're trying to browbeat me into it. I'm not. One. No, I'm not. And that's okay because I need, I need <laughs> the encouragement because. <laughs> I No, actually I'm not. I have a question. No. And it's a question for both of us and and you too. Oh boy. What what is what's the block? Cuz you know, you know, we what's talked about a long time ago. You recorded it. So when did you lay down the recording? With the Ferris? A week and a half ago. Right. Yeah. And we talked that day. I said, "Let's get a blog out ASAP." Right? And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And Great. I, I got it all in mind. Mhm. Okay, I'm not it's I, there. I'm not sweating See, because Will has had this experience with me. Yeah. I'm not sweating you. What's the block? I, well, I am not an inexperienced writer. i got to throw that out there right now. I wrote for American Record Guide for going on five years, uh, the oldest, most prestigious classical music magazine in America, and widely read. Actually, there's more subscribers in Europe than there are in mm -hmm. the United States. Extremely well-known magazine. I was a writer for them, and uh, I've written program notes. I've done a number of... I mean, writer is definitely, like you said, it's part of my identity, it's part of what I do. Uh, I am I guess I'm kind of fussy, and I'm, what I'm doing right now is reading a lot of other people's blogs. I'm trying to get into the format. I'm trying to figure out how to be effective within that small... I mean, I understand it should be in real time. Like, the day that I made the recording, I should have written a blog. Right. But for me to just vomit something up and say, I, you know... Oh, here's That's what Twitter's for. I know, I, and I, I have a hard time with that because what I've done in the past has been highly polished and something that it takes time and I craft. And I, I mean, I, then again, I didn't work that hard on some of my reviews. They were very last minute, but I don't know. It, it's because I maybe, I... maybe it's a ridiculous standard thing that I want it to be just so. And so when I do sit down and sketch ideas and I do write things, if it's not on a level that I want, I just discard it or I ignore it or I, I don't know. And then part, part, part of it, the bigger thing probably that's more interesting other than just a writer going, well, you know, I have to be good, is um, the, the very idea that it's personal. And, you know, Grimes, you're always telling me I should expose some of the warts with yeah, this too and the bruises. I, that's and totally what this is all about is to show... People, and, how fucked up we are, and how difficult it is to sort of be. Well, I'm grabbing the scotch to say this, but um, one of the things that you know, I wrote one, then I discarded, which I haven't sent to you guys, and that was. You guys are distracted. Well, we're we're checking. Uh, I'm trying to figure. Sure. I think I'm on the left. I think uh, I talk too much. Then the Panthers jersey is popular. Uh, someone just said hi. All right. Yeah. Well. All right. So, by the way, um, those, anyone that does actually want to contribute the to the conversation, is music, <laughs> classical music. Well, but uh, go ahead and, and tweet us at Open G Records. Um, we will, from this time forward, not be looking at the comments. Uh, we'll we'll give you guys this week, but uh, if um, really, I'm getting it up. There we go. All right. Uh, so go ahead, go ahead and uh, go ahead and tweet at us if you've got a question. We will get those, and we, we're happy to you know have have contributions to the question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was going on the idea that it's the blog thing is personal, and I have a difficult time 
I mean, the one that I wanted, the one that I did that I didn't send, that I ended up discarding, was a rant about my insecurity. Going before I made the, the, the went into the first recording session, it was all about this idea that, you know, no matter how hard I work, there's still a part of me that I don't literally look in the mirror, but I, when I look inside, I go, I wonder if this is good enough. Well, hang on. I got. I got. I got to say okay. something. I think every single creative person feels that way. So yeah. why do we keep talking about it? I, well, and that's the thing is why. Why should I write about it if everybody else is too? Because I, I once I once I get into it too, I begin to realize that it's not that unique. It's just that it's my own personal hell, my own personal world dealing with it. But yeah, I think everybody. But the insecurities that anybody feels, the dealing, the things that are pretty, but I think the part that is unique about it, though, even in having this conversation, is that I, I don't see a lot of people admitting to it, especially when you're a professional and you have an established reputation and a career and things like that. I, I mean, think that there are a lot more people who are willing to admit it in popular music than there no. are in our side of the field. Where like we're just supposed to be polished all the yeah time. where perfection is actually something that is prized in a way in the way in a sense that rock and roll it perfection is not you know there are bands that are really really good yeah. and that play together really tightly and are virtuosic players and all that stuff and then there are other bands that fucking own that kind of play like shit yeah you know so it's like um the difference wow, for us special. is that there's a is that there's a premium sort of on getting it right the expectation the expectation and that expectation is actually fucking bullshit because that's not where the truth is at but that, that level that's of what people buy though that's what they've been buying and for you two go or to decades. school for that perfection you don't you know Aerosmith didn't go to school for that's, rock and roll that's true <laughs> but you know it's but what what's the truth of what we're talking about does Aerosmith own more than fucking Shostakovich sometimes sometimes what owns you know it's just like I don't know I don't think there's a science to what uh, you know, the, what re- resonates the with balance people balance between perfection and like fucking kicking ass is difficult to attain particularly in our in our field no doubt I ju- I think that one of the I don't know, just having known uh, and I guess been a creative person in, in a number of uh, res- respects and genres and whatever you have, I, I think it's very much a uh, across-the-board uh, general generalization that you can make. That, that that sort of insecurity is what drives you onto the stage almost to say, you right. know, look at, mm-hmm. look at what I can do, right. love me. I mean, it's there's, it's there's one of those that. sort of things. There's that. There's that. And then along with performing, I think one of the things that I'm still drawn to is uh, not just the immediate feedback of doing something well and getting that love and adoration and that, hey, you were great, you played well, you know, we all feed on that. Um, but there's also the element of adrenaline and this, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling you get when you have a really, really fine performance. You know, you you physically and mentally feel elevated. I mean, you just played a concerto over the weekend. You know exactly what I mean. I'm still kind of... I haven't come down from right. it. I'm confused as to where my fucking place is at the moment. Right. So, but, but you, you keep wanting you know, to like recreate your, your that, house? too. <laughs> to, yeah. this, to that point, you know, I, there's a book that, that I pumped to 
Chafee that I've probably talked to you about called The War of Art. Yes. And it's uh, for Chafee, it didn't really seem to work that well, and that's cool. But for <laughs> me, for me, the, the, he did make a point about like why maybe people who are artistic feel fucked up, and that is our we are social animals. Our our biology and our sociology is such that we are pack animals. We can't survive in the wild on our own. We, we survive in the wild in packs. So our, our social, thank you, our social um, obligation is to, is to not stick out. But when you are an artist, you're basically saying, I have something special to say. I stick outside of this mainstream of everybody following themselves where we're biologically sort of, that's our biological imperative is to stay in step. Otherwise we might get eaten by a big fucking tiger. But if you say you're an artist, then you're, you're like, you're saying, well, I'm going to get eaten by a big fucking tiger. It's like you stand outside of that. That's what I, that's what I said. That was what got me into it. I I love tigers. Tiger? I like tigers. Yeah, well, they're cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. I'm just. I really. I. I think it. Wow. We just. We peaked. I need to lean back. That's what needs to happen. <laughs> See, I told you. Uh, sorry. No. I. I think it's very much a a, a, a universal sort of thing. I want to get back a little bit. Um, but, yeah, but I want to argue the point. For okay. A second. All right. Um, I'm going to let you two talk. Here comes. Here comes. What was the what was the word? What was the c word? Cranky. Cranky. Here comes the crank. I'm not entirely sure half the time I'm an artist as much as I'm just a glorified entertainer, and that is not just based on cynicism. That's based on knowing a great deal about the social history of how we got to this point today in classical music. You know, there was not a very high elevated you know we the 20th century gave us this idea of the classical musician as some sort of above the entertainment business of you know at the top of the premiere and all those things and we're in new york city where barnum had a a museum but guess who was one of the great classical music promoters of the 1860s and 1870s and 1880s it P. was pt barnum um, I think when you look at the programs of the time, orchestra programs where they didn't play entire Beethoven symphonies, they did a movement of a symphony, then a pop tune, and then they did a medley, and then they, you know, they they did these collage-like programs of all different kinds of music, and it was all part of the same mix. and And the musicians that played it at the time did not consider themselves. You know, I'm wearing a tuxedo. I'm a classical musician. They were working musicians because. Yeah. They Mozart also, was a tradesperson. Right, he was basically they, like a baker or like a, a shoemaker or something. But the symphony musicians and some of the ones that I had the privilege of studying with and listening to them tell stories, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, symphonies did not pay full-time livings. So they would play dance bands. They'd, play, they'd literally go to the union hall. You know, you see that movie, Some Like It Hot. You know, which is a hilarious movie. It's that old black and white movie with Jack Lemmon and all that. They pretend I'm they're girls. Positive that Will Kerrigan has not seen. Well, you got to see some like it hot. like it hot because it's I'll, not I'll that far from the list. truth. They, these union musicians would literally just go to the union hall and get assignments. Like you go at nine in the morning, and they say, "Well, there's a dance at this hotel. Go we'll play a it." Saxophone player by six thirty. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they were they they were just working musicians, and then in some cases, in a lo- in some of the orchestras. Chris, you got to help me out here. The clarinet players in Philadelphia who also had an ice cream stand. 
they made more money on their ice cream was stand. Was it Giuliani? I don't remember, but it, you know, there are all these cases until we get to the 1950s where we boosted classical music into a living and this elevated thing. So, I mean, that's a long rant, which is mostly incoherent, but it gets to the this basic idea that sometimes I think we take ourselves way too seriously because, you know, at the end of the day, I sometimes feel like I'm just a, a entertainer. So Chris and I, in uh, the last episode that we, we did of this, we talked, of, there was this list that was on uh, the internet somewhere about the the classical concert and a list ten, on ten the internet? there was a list on the internet. <laughs> really? Um, what? You don't say. It is a new thing that they're trying is there a out. Cat picture? I don't think it'll last. I don't think it's gonna. It's it, no it doesn't have legs. Yeah. Uh, but any, I, I'm curious. What would you know? What are, what is your idea of what a, a reasonable and, and and cool concert experience that we could call classical what 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 do you that's, think of? that's a tough one and this this whole overhaul of classical music has been going on for so long and there are people that make careers out of chicken littling i'm making that a verb true that yep. you know the sky is falling the sky is falling classical music is dying classical music is dying it seems like every two or three years or, you know, people it's have, so written, easy to people write have spent an entire career writing books. I yeah. won't mention any names, Joe Horowitz, of famous New York-based writers who have made money on, you know, lit, I think cashed in on constantly bewailing and bemoaning the end of classical yeah. music. Um, it's been going, I mean, and there's all these great examples of newspaper articles in the 1950s where they're worried about orchestras going under and, you know, museums going under and all these things. It's just a, a constant... And we always kind of live on thin ice, and there's always somebody who comes along who wants to save the world, who says, well, I know what we're going to do, we're going to make this better. And we've lived, Chris and I have lived through some of these things. You know, back in the late 90s, getting into the early 2000s, outreach was the word. It was all about outreach, like, can you send ensembles out into the schools, because that'll save the day, you know. Musicians need to get out of the concert hall and go play in schools and churches and things. There's always a new concept. And what's what's interesting and what bugs me is that these people come at it like they're some sort of messiah. Like nobody's ever tried anything before. Like, yeah. oh, I know. I'll publish a list of ten things that'll make classical music better. Well, dude, somebody Fair did point. that in 1999, but there was no internet to do that. So, and we all were in school. We were all in the profession hearing and dealing with all these things. You know, it's... I, I'm not opposed to new ideas. I think new ideas need to be tried, but I think this idea that any of us or anybody can come along and just go, well, I've got this wand, ding, now it's all going to be better because I have this brilliant idea. But you got to admit that going to a classical music concert is fucking boring. It is. I don't do it. Yeah, I don't I'm, do it I'm either. I'm saying I live... to the 20 people watching that I, you live in New York and I live Lincoln in New York. Centers I live down Lincoln the road. Center. Well, it's this way, though. Sorry. No, <laughs> but I have five blocks from here. I, yeah. I I can count on zero hands how many New York Phil or or Ouch. or uh, Metropolitan Opera broadcast or performances I've been to. I just don't care because it's not a fun experience for me. Even if I love the music, I'm just gonna have to sit there and and be still. But you're, I'm gonna have to sit not... there and not show that I enjoy it. I'm gonna have to sit there and like. You're not John Q. Public though. You're not Oklahoma J. Cheeseburger. You know, you're, you're a train <laughs> How many of those musician. do you have? How many of those do you <laughs> no, have? I can, I'm here all night. Um, no, I, uh, no, so I just derailed myself. Well, let but, me, let me just say the, you were talking about the, the, the list musician is glorified. No, 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 forget the, the list of 10. 
that was what I brought up. But the 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 glorified entertainer and the history of you know the union musicians and stuff like that. If you were looking for a, a blog entry, I personally would be interested in reading that one. I, I don't know. What do you What do you think, Grimes? Uh, I mean, listen, that's because I, I that to, you, but, you've you got know. some stuff that we can't get into here. But I, I would be very interested to to read up on some of that. Well, and that would take time because I'm also a person that's written a little bit of history and gone to conferences and read papers. So the academic in me is like, well, I got to make sure I know what I'm talking about because you know the great that's thing a good is. Thing. The community out there still calls you on bullshit. Yeah. Last night I was at a literary event in Dayton, and one of the the winning books in this prize that I'm a part of, um, the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, I, I was with a friend who's a, a poli-sci professor, and I love this book, and I said, well, you've got to tell me what you think. He said, well, I fact-checked the first chapter, and, and she's right so far. And I went, wow, that's great. I mean, people still pay attention to details. Nice. All right. Is that the is that <laughs> like the big shepherd's crook? This is in? I don't. No, I'm just giving us a little. Hey, what's up? You okay. can see us here. Yeah. Um. So I I will say I would personally I would like to read that intro. So if that's something you want to put a put on the burner and let it stew for a bit, I, that would be a really cool contribution. I do. We're running out of time because we got kickoff in like 18 minutes. All and, right. Uh, that's, that's Monday night football is our is our stopping point. Or <laughs> um, so I I would oh, like so that's why you're wearing yeah this. that's why yeah yeah anyway um I would, what what is this thing this is a panther oh okay kind of looks like the are... state of North Carolina it's like it's all right that's a tangent we it's depressing absolutely absolutely and full of racism that's my that's my home oh um so I want to talk dude, about hold on. you fucking live in Ohio so be quiet. <laughs> Hey, I'm proud of my Republican governor. He created jobs. Okay. Commissioning. Right. That's what we're going to talk uh, about now. Because this is something that I think is under-talked uh, about. We're going to say that that's grammatically correct. Under-talked <laughs> about in music schools, uh, teachers to students. You know, you, you student, you're just supposed to learn your rep, don't ask questions. Let's say I'm a student, and I would like to you know, commission a piece, be it from another student composer or from a composer that I heard at a concert that I liked, what would what are my next steps? What do I do? Well, the first thing that you need to understand is that if it's an if it's a composer who makes his living from, if he's an adult, if he's graduated from college, if yes. you're a college student, and you're asking someone who's graduated from college to write you a piece, you're talking about paying them money, right? So you have to come up with somewhere between three and eight thousand dollars for at st- least, at least, yeah. Like just say it's somebody who's not, who doesn't have a name but yep. is a professional. Got to come up with like three to eight thousand dollars for, say, a ten-minute piece. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not really what you want to start out with. That makes no sense. Who has three to eight thousand dollars in their bank account? That makes no sense. You have to start out like you start out with every partnership that you should have when you're young. You should start with your friends. You should start with people in college yes. because the same reason that you're going to college to be a player, they're going to college to be a writer. And if you're going to play, then they need to write. Okay. Yeah. And when I cannot tell you the amount of people that I run into now that I'm 43 and almost dead, uh, that I went to college with, that I happened to play. Oh, you wrote this piece that I played bullshit clarinet on for a recording session, but that meant something. You know, it's 
it, the partnership is not just for you, not just that you have a piece for yourself, yeah. but that the, the, your partner gets to write a piece for you. You know, it's like he, that's, he or she, that's a big deal for them too. It's so, a partnership. It should benefit and both parties. the best professional partnerships start that way too. Okay. You know, I might, I might hear from this great composer and say, man, I'd really like a piece from them. But, you know, maybe they're a dick. Maybe they're not, they're going to deliver me something and it's going to be like, this is what you get and go fuck yourself. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's my thing. I would much rather get something from somebody that I trust. And that, that likes you. That likes me. And then, okay, so, sorry. I don't, I, quick tangent. This is like, this is sort of the overarching idea, Right. The Beatles were not the four best fucking musicians in the world by a long shot. In fact, somebody asked asked John Lennon one time if Ringo was the best drummer in the world, and John Lennon said Ringo's not the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> and that's probably the truth. Uh, absolutely. But he was a yeah. great hang. He was a good hang. Yeah. And there was something about the energy of trusting themselves until finally, whether it was Yoko or age or success or whatever broke up the Beatles... For a long time, they were successful because they did trust each other. And even though John and Paul had butted heads and wanted to be the mean songwriter, the reason they wrote great songs together is because in the end, they, they started out as friends. So I think the most important thing is when you're building partnerships and you're building uh, uh, reasons to commission and people to commission, you start with your friends and and, and do something together, make something together rather than you you wrote this piece for me now i play it it becomes a you wrote this for me and it's not it's mine now in terms of like uh formal considerations what do you i mean is there anything that needs to be taken into account if it's your friend yeah no okay if you're paying somebody money of course then you need to write a contract and that's actually very easy you don't need a lawyer to write a contract all that means all that needs to say is in writing you both need a copy of a document that says hey you're going to write something for me that lasts about this long. For that, I'm going to pay you X amount. Then at the end, you make fucking sure you pay them X amount so that, like, commerce is moving. Yeah. But that's that's it. That's as hard as it is. You find your friends. You say you write a piece. If you're a friend, you don't need a contract. If you're exchanging any money, you absolutely must have a contract because... Otherwise, it's a he or she said situation, and if you've ever watched fucking People's Court, a he or she said situation does not really... Yo, Judge Wapner. I always flip flip past that channel. I don't don't care. So that's... I I get the reference, but I've never seen it. So So anything other than that? No, exactly right. Like, start with the people you know. And the so-called performance commission isn't a bad thing. I believe... I'm talking off the top of my head, and again, as an academic, I worry about saying things without footnoting thoroughly, but I think the Benjamin Britten War Requiem was a performance commission. What does that mean, a performance commission? Like, there was no money involved other than, hey, we'll perform your piece. If you write it. Then we'll put an orchestra and a chorus together, yeah. and we'll and do, we'll it, do and it, it, and you'll get the, the accolades of the live performance, but no money. So, I think... You did say it might be wrong, so we yeah, can't yeah, yeah. footnote so, it properly. Right. So, but there there are some examples of that, and there I you know like I'm saying with the Ferris. I mean, that was just hey, write me a piece, and he did. Did you pay him at all for that, or no, 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 and uh, and don't it's probably a performance commission in the end, yeah, or essentially, yeah. So uh, those things. Well, once it's going on record, we'll pay. Once him for it's that. going on That's record, hopefully, Open G will yeah. 
pay him, you know, the percentage of whatever he's he owns in the record. So those things occur, but you Definitely. know, the the one thing I would say, if there are any young musicians who are, if any of them are watching and and trying to gain some sort of wisdom from this, um, other than you know, forty year olds drinking scotch, <laughs> that we can't afford. Right, I can uh, afford it. Yeah. So, <laughs> at any rate, one thing to keep in mind is. You know, there are people that are succeeding doing this because they have the wherewithal to write grant proposals. I know a lot of fantastic musicians who just can't figure out how to sit down at a computer and write a grant proposal. I know some pretty mediocre musicians who are playing an awful lot mm -hmm. and doing very well for themselves and getting commissions and doing things because they they look at the resources available to them they you know they're like oh i live in iowa let's see is there an iowa council for the arts are there any foundations that pay for these things um, i think a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot because they don't look for what it takes because you're right i mean nobody has eight thousand dollars that they can just go buy a piece of music but there are foundations that do. Right. There are there are agencies. There are different ways of finding the money. And I think, yeah, I don't. <laughs> and that's that's something that bugs me about a lot of musicians too. That there are a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of mediocre people who just have persistence and have their act together. There's a and lot a of, lot of that seems like it's just as simple as logging onto the internet yes. and just going to google and start just starting from what you know you, and seeing what you find you would think so yeah. but it, it's most 90 percent of people are not going to put in that first level of effort right right you know it's just i'm like, taking the excuse away is right. what i'm trying to just just like any other subfield of music or really any business success depends less on your talent although if you have talent it's essential but it, it it depends more on, are you, can you fucking hustle? Yeah. yeah. Do you hustle? Do you ma do you call people back? Right. Do you answer your emails? Yeah. Do you maintain right. your connections? Yep. Do you do you tweet at people? Do you maintain your Facebook uh, 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 connections at all? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all just does like, it look nice? It's complicated. Yeah. But it's like child rearing in a way, in the sense that each little thing that you have to do is almost pathetically easy. But to string it together in a coherent, constant way is yeah. actually hard. Yeah. And to have like a strategy for your YouTube channel or to have a strategy for your Twitter, which we frankly aren't great at. We don't we're not great we're at Twitter there. or anything. Yeah. We're getting better thanks to our friend Will here who's you know every, every day is a learning process. It is. But that's what this is all about. So hustle, bust ass, work hard. And that's more important than, than being really fucking good. But try to be really fucking good. Well, but the thing is, too, don't discount the being good part because you can work your ass off and get a gig and then you can very quickly lose a gig because you can go and not blow it. Yeah. I mean, anybody can get a job. It's keeping a job that matters more than anything else. And that... Yeah. I, that... We've seen that happen over the last couple of decades with a lot of great musicians, you know. And they do all the right things, they land a job, and then they, for whatever reason, they don't get tenure or they get pushed out. Sometimes, yeah, it's a bunch of political nonsense, but sometimes it's just, you know, they're really good at one thing, but they're not very flexible, and, you know, maybe they're great soloistic players, but, oh, by the way, you got to play in tune. 
you know, they, they miss something somewhere and they don't sustain. And they're, they're a flash in the pan. I mean, I tell my students the most important thing to keep in mind is, is that a, is that a negative thing? I don't no, know. I think it's a positive thing. Oh, okay. Um, what, the most important thing to keep in mind is that when you look at a musician, you know, somebody, it's creative. somebody can win a competition, but they will be famous for a day or two. Someone it's sustaining. Someone on the on the on the internet has suggested instead of doing like like um, straight concerts, fucking play at pubs, which you know is something that yeah. I definitely do. The classical do. revolution that's going yeah. on right now. That's that it should be this. Whoever that is, thank you. I mean, I totally agree that we should. The more classical musicians are like singer songwriters going and, from town to town and plying their craft like an actual fucking musician yeah. who doesn't expect things to be yeah. given to them by a foundation. So I have two two replies to that real quick. One is forever that whoever that person is, Google classical revolution, particularly in Cleveland, because members of the Cleveland Orchestra have taken that and they've been doing that. They got a huge NEA grant. They're going to town with that and it's a great idea. Personally, I think I'm gonna try it. I, there's a brewery in my town that just opened up. I used I to play at, at, at a bar and, yeah. at, at, in Greenville quite a bit. And, you know, when people... Look, music is fun. Live music is almost always awesome, almost no matter what. It's really got to suck if live music is not fun and cool. Yeah. So... If you're like, if even if you're a classical musician, there's no reason that people shouldn't get their drink on. There's no reason that people should be full of like food before you start. Everyone wants to have. Look, we're 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 having some alcohol now because it it brings out fun in you. It makes you receptive to to new experiences. And so the fact that we expect people to sit not fucked up. In two thousand uncomfortable seats and really enjoy music is bullshit. So, dude, I totally whoever that is out there, I totally agree with you. Do that, do that, male, female, whatever right. indiscriminate sexual origin you have from the internet, I completely agree. You, we should play in non-traditional yeah, places, and it, and particularly places that involve alcohol. It's absolutely underway, and I think it's a great model. And I, I yeah. All right. Well, I want to know. I. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for. Uh, I mean, I know you're in town anyway, so thanks for taking some time. I didn't this have a choice. You, I know you're staying <laughs> here. Or something. Like, well, you know, if you want a place to stay, you have to talk. Well, you, you, you pulled him out of his depressive spiral, so you know this is, I guess, payback. Uh, right. So we're we're glad to have you. Uh, as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Those of you that did on the internet at OpenG Records on Twitter, uh, give us a follow, give us a shout out. We'll be back in two weeks. Um, so until then. See ya. Peace out.